You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. Tuesday's blast of winter weather created unprecedented nightmares on the roads, stranding thousands of commuters. But the storm itself was not a surprise. So what happened and why did things go so wrong? That's what two city councillors are hoping to get to the bottom of in what they're calling a snow summit. Julie Nolan explains. Stuck on a hill or stuck on a bridge for several hours. People across Metro Vancouver want to know how can we avoid a repeat of Tuesday's commuter chaos? We don't know why, perhaps the timing just so impacted um, our region and shut it down. With potentially tens of thousands of commuters trapped in their vehicles for several hours when the snowstorm hit, big questions remain such as were cities ready and were maintenance crews fully prepared. I want to see an integrated approach on snow removal. All of the municipalities reacted far, far too late. Surrey City Councillor Linda Annis had plenty of time to think about the region's epic fail as one of the many drivers stuck in a vehicle for nine hours with no food or essential supplies. The province needs to be much more proactive. This latest storm that we had wasn't one that was a surprise storm. We need to be on it with a plan and we also need to make sure that we're budgeted correctly. Questions about crews and equipment. Or were tow trucks even in the right places? These are just some of the contributing factors that Annis and New West City Councillor Daniel Fontaine want to see scrutinized in what they call a snow summit, even asking the public for input. All these things were running through my mind in the last 24 to 48 hours. Like, are there things that we could have been doing better? And I think in particular around the bridges. Bridges became choke points and some drivers didn't have proper tires. Plus, many people simply didn't have enough information before hitting the road and were not prepared. So could emergency text alerts have been issued? Centralized communication from the province out is probably something that needs to be readdressed. In a response to the Snow Summit idea through a statement, the Ministry of Transportation and Infrastructure reiterates it's conducting a review and other municipalities may also be looking at their response to the event and at ways to improve. They also say many vehicles were challenged with grades on our structures like buses and semi-trucks that made clearing difficult. This is a wake-up call for us. With a desire to make much-needed improvements next time around. Julie Nolan, Global News. All right, let's check in with senior meteorologist Christy Gordon now because tomorrow, Christy, there is the potential we can see it all over again. Possibly snow, definitely cold, and wind. <laughs> yeah, so we could certainly see all of that. And that's why we're really urging everyone to try and stay off the roads tomorrow afternoon and evening. But it's really important to note that in terms of snowfall, Metro Vancouver is not expecting as much snow as what we saw on Tuesday night. Uh, and here's the reason why. We've got this low pressure center that is actually just going to skirt the coast. It's dropping down the coast. So just touching into our region. Vancouver Island, though, will be impacted with potentially up to 25 centimeters of snow. And keep in mind, there's still a lot of uncertainty around the system. A slight push inwards and we could get more snow in Metro Vancouver and a slight push outwards, we could get far less. So when I come back, I'm going to give you the timeline and which areas I'm most concerned about.
All right, thanks for that, Christy. Now, this won't come as a big shock. ICBC says it's seeing a sudden spike in claims after the snowfall earlier this week. They say claims increased by 94% on Tuesday compared to the same day the week before. So far, more than 3,500 claims have been filed from Tuesday alone. ICBC is reminding drivers with the chance of more snow in the forecast to drive slowly and prepare your vehicle for winter conditions. Well, the province is taking action against TELUS Health, seeking an injunction against the Life Plus program. That program allows patients to pay to access services. And as Richard Zussman reports, that billing model is at the center of this dispute. Defending the public health care system. Access to necessary medical care should be based on need and not on an individual's ability to pay. After nearly 10 months of investigating, the BC Medical Services Commission has filed a court injunction against TELUS Health and specifically the Life Plus program. The injunction will be heard uh, by the courts and uh, decisions in that case are made by judges. The allegations are TELUS violated the Medicare Protection Act through extra billing by Life Plus's 25 doctors to 4,000 patients. The program cost $4,650 in the first year and $3,600 in subsequent years. It promises a dedicated team of health professionals in person and 24-7 virtual care. TELUS insists Life Plus is not for publicly insured services. And the company was not granted time to meet directly with the BC Medical Services Commission. Our only goal is the betterment of health outcomes for citizens of British Columbia. We do not charge for primary care services with our Life Plus service. Life Plus operates out of two locations in the Lower Mainland, one in North Vancouver and the other in downtown Vancouver on Nelson Street. TELUS and other corporations, they're, they're coming into the gaps in our healthcare system. And they're filling in those gaps because those gaps are very big. We need the government, we need this health minister, this premier, to really commit to a, a universal healthcare system that doesn't have these kinds of gaps. TELUS also provides healthcare to British Columbians through MyCare Clinics and telemedicine. The province says they expect the injunction will not impact those services and take doctors out of the system. TELUS wasn't so sure. This petition only relates to TELUS's Life Plus program, charging membership fees to patients. TELUS is, of course, an outstanding BC company that's involved in many aspects of healthcare. And even though Life Plus may be a small part of TELUS's health business, whatever the courts decide could have a big impact on the future of healthcare in BC. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. An overwhelming majority of B.C. teachers has voted to ratify a new contract with the province. The agreement includes a big boost to wages and will push some teachers into the six-figure mark. The salary increase may help with the ongoing teacher shortage, but as Kylie Stanton reports, workload is still a concern. So what do you think, Tiffany, at the back? After several years in the classroom, never really knowing what's coming next, B.C. teachers have some certainty. It was definitely a, a sigh of relief. After three days of voting, the BCTF announced the ratification of the agreement between the union and the BC Public Schools Employers Association. With more than 35,500 ballots cast, 94% were in favour. 
It's good to see a number that says the deal you got was one that the members can accept for sure. A tentative agreement had been reached a month ago after more than 50 days at the table. Now that it's been ratified, salaries will increase roughly 13.75% over the next three years, meaning new members will see a six dollars to $8,500 hike in that time, while teachers at the top of their wage grids will be making 10 to 13.5% more per year, pushing some past the six-figure mark. Other gains include 10 additional minutes of prep time for elementary, improvement to benefits like counseling and glucose monitors, enhanced pregnancy leave, and better professional development funding. There's no question that the uh, that the progress made in many areas of the collective agreement and the uh, and the salary improvements are going to are going to really help um, on the recruitment side of the recruitment side of things. And I'm I'm very grateful to the parties for all of the really hard work that they've done. But there is still room for improvement. Improvement. Working conditions are still quite a concern. Lack of supports in Victoria. We don't have enough educational assistance. Uh, so it's um, there. There are some real challenges. Suffix ed. The union says it will be pushing to address those issues during the next round of negotiations. But that's still a few years away. And until then, this certainty is something both teachers and parents can appreciate. Very excited for no strike. That's a good thing. They need to be in school. You know, I think it's best for everybody involved. Kylie Stanton, Global News. All right, so good news for teachers. Keith Baldry joins us now to talk more about contracts in BC and what is settled and what's still outstanding. Keith. Yes, indeed. Very good news for teachers, students, and parents. I didn't have 94% ratification on my bingo card. BCTF historically has more trouble at the bargaining table than we saw this year. Uh, so here's the numbers. Here's the update. 17 contracts have now been reached uh, involving uh, public sector. Still 167 uh, to go, though. Still a lot of work ahead. Uh, more than 230,000 employees are now covered by new contracts. That's almost 60% of the entire affected workforce. Still to come, though, and these are big ones, nurses, paramedics, social services and post-secondary faculty associations. Health Minister Adrian Dix today say he acknowledges nurses have uh, special demands on them. Uh, many other workers don't have, but he notes that the recent changes that have been made in the nursing profession hopefully has a positive impact at the bargaining table. There are extraordinary demands on our outstanding terms of nurses and of course we negotiate all of this uh, at the bargaining table and that's what we're going to continue to do. But uh, in addition to that, as you know, in the last number of months, in February, a new uh, process has dramatically improved, um, uh, improved uh, the situation for internationally educated nurses. So it'll be interesting whether some of these changes, which includes the hiring of many more nurses, in fact, 18% uh, increase in the last few years, um, changes to attract foreign nurses, and also the hiring of 300 security guards in various health facilities, as working conditions and worker safety are very much very major concerns for the nurses, and those will be dealt with at the bargaining table, which really hasn't started yet. All right, thanks for that, Keith. An EV owner in the North Shore has a warning for others after plugging in her Nissan Leaf at a BC Hydro charging station. Why she's now on the hook for a major repair bill. That's next on the News Hour. Where are you really from? I'm really from here. <laughs> yeah, but okay, so I can see that this is going to be a bit of a challenge. Another royal scandal emerges at Buckingham Palace. The attention it's pulling from a royal visit to the United States still come. 
Plus, Stanley Park's controversial bike lane is going away, at least temporarily. That story still to come. Right now, though, if you have an electric car, you know finding a charging station can sometimes be a challenge. But what if the charging station ends up damaging your vehicle? That's the issue facing some Nissan Leaf owners after they tried to power up at a BC Hydro charging station in Horseshoe Bay. Catherine Urquhart has the story. From inside Community Spirits Liquor Store, Mirko Moorhawk has a clear view of the street outside, including what used to be a BC Hydro electric vehicle charging station. Recently, he has seen some unhappy motorists after the station severely damaged their vehicles. Well, I probably would be too if my car would not start after charging session and I had to tow it away. Definitely a big inconvenience, yeah. Moorhawk used the station for his Tesla and had no problems. But these two Nissan Leafs were damaged, one owned by Jenny Sopchak, who has been quoted a huge repair bill. Figure the latest they've said would be 6,200 plus taxes. And that's because the part alone is over 5,000. And then I guess because it's maybe deeply in embedded in the battery, it's, it's at least another thousand or so on top uh, for labor. The charging station is now out of service. BC Hydro says it's investigating the matter and compensation is being considered. So what happened is the power module in both of the vehicles were damaged and that's what helps them kind of adjust voltage. Um, so we are right now working with both of the drivers that were impacted. They're working through our claims process. We're taking this one really seriously. BC Hydro have accepted, a, acknowledged a claim, but they say it could be up to 30 days for a decision. So I'm just going to go ahead and pay it and keep my fingers crossed that they'll you know, accept some responsibility and, and reimburse. In Horseshoe Bay, it was the only EV charging station used by many people awaiting ferries, including tourists. And yeah, definitely a lot of people do come charge over here, you know, either going to the ferry, going to the Squamish. Mirko Moorhawk and countless others are hopeful it will be replaced in the near future and that no more cars will be damaged. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Coming up, putting decriminalization to the test. They're going to use whatever drugs they want to use. They're going to carry whatever drugs they want to carry, but now it's not going to hurt them. The Portland example, two years in, and what Vancouver can learn. Plus, it was shocking video of a violent arrest, but the Mountie accused has been acquitted. What the judge said in handing down her verdict, next. A busy commute for traffic in both directions on Highway 1, both in Coquitlam here and on the Surrey side of the Portman Bridge. That's because both HOV lanes are blocked for winter maintenance. Have a million gifts to give? Scratch the perfect gift off your list with Scratch and Win tickets available at your local retailers, 19 plus to play. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Highway 1 in Coquitlam. A Kelowna Mountie caught on video more than two years ago in what appeared to be a violent arrest has been found not guilty of assaults. That decision reached today was that Constable Siggy Peterzak acted reasonably given the circumstances he faced during the May 2020 arrest of Tyler Russell. Judge Marianne Armstrong ruling Mr. Russell was younger, stronger, empowered by liquor and drugs and fixed in his determination to do whatever he needed to do to avoid being handcuffed.
left. Armstrong went on to say Mr. Russell's continued belligerence and attempt to fight police proves the officer was correct in his assessment that Mr. Russell would attempt to assault them the second he had the chance. And the only thing standing between him and that chance was two men in their 50s who were tiring in the struggle. Peter Zak had been suspended with pay during the duration of the trial. It's unclear if or when he will return to duty. BC's gang squad says it has wrapped up a successful operation involving the Hells Angels on Vancouver Island. Police displayed a table full of items seized in their investigation at a news conference today. It includes more than a dozen rifles and shotguns, pistols and ammunition. Bags of drugs also on display. 50 investigators worked to produce 41 charges against alleged members of the Hells Angels chapter in Nanaimo. Police have issued arrest warrants for three full patch members. We have right now arrest warrants out for three out of the four. Uh, all three of the full patch members of the Hells Angels Nanaimo Club. So I'll start with uh, William Paulson, who's age 51, uh, still at large. I also have Christopher Stephen Smith, age 44, again another Hells Angels member for the Nanaimo Club. And then finally, uh, the third member of the Nanaimo Hells Angels we have here, uh, Sean Kendall, age 44. Police also seized explosives and piles of cash. They say the investigation prevented the Hells Angels from expanding on Vancouver Island. The inquest into the death of Trayvon Desjardins has heard from a foster worker who didn't find the boy's body for four days. Desjardins died by suicide in September of 2020 in an Abbotsford foster home. The worker remains traumatized by the incident and struggled to explain his actions at the coroner's inquest today. Aaron MacArthur reports. Gut-wrenching testimony today from the care provider who was on shift for the four days that Trayvon Desjardins was considered missing before ultimately being found dead in his closet. Murray McMaster testifying Thursday, he came on shift Monday, September 14th in 2020. Trayvon Desjardins was not in his room. McMaster reported him AWOL to the Ministry for Children and Family Development that night and then reported him missing to the Abbotsford Police Department the next day. McMaster testifying he checked the room daily questions asked of him why he didn't think to check inside the closet despite the closet doors being broken and simply leaning up against the opening the foster parent had little in the way of answers and testified repeatedly he could not recall the details lawyers for the coroner's service asked if he checked the room on september 14th 15th 16th and 17th the answer was yes lawyer how did you check the bedroom mcmaster i went in i looked around I checked under the bed. I looked for any signs that he had been there. I didn't see any. Lawyers for the Abbotsford Police Department continued to press the issue of that search, asking, on September 16th and 17th, do you recall checking Trayvon's room? Answer, yes. And that includes the closet, correct? Answer, I wish I could say that does include that, but I didn't find him, so I have to say it doesn't include that. Question, but to be fair, you believe you checked the closet? Answer. I believe I checked the room well enough. Yes. McMaster testified that he began to notice a foul smell coming from the basement of the home on September 17th. Abbotsford police arrived at the group home on the 18th. McMaster reported that he told them about the foul smell, and within minutes, Abbotsford police officers had found Trayvon's body. The coroner's inquest not set to find fault or guilt. 
only to find recommendations to prevent further deaths in the future. Aaron McCarthy, Global News. Vancouver police are asking for help to identify a suspect involved in an assault that injured three women in mid-September. Police say the victims in their 20s were injured in an attack September 19th. They were walking near Smythe and Hornby when they were approached by a group of strangers who allegedly assaulted them. Police have obtained video of one of the suspects. They say she appears to be a woman in her 20s with long, dark hair. If you recognize her, you are asked to call Vancouver police. Well, in just two months, on January 31st, B.C. will become the first province to decriminalize some hard drugs. And while no one knows for sure what that will lead to, a similar story south of the border might provide some clues as to what we can expect. Paul Johnson reports on the Oregon experience. It actually, it's, all it's doing is making it easier for people to hold drugs, you know what I'm saying, and, and, and get, get drugs. It's Thanksgiving Day in the U.S., we're on a sidewalk in downtown Portland, where Terrence and D-Shot have their fire going. D-Shot is 41 and has been on the streets here for 11 years. He's got his own views about how the decriminalization of hard drugs has played out. It's the same. Just cruise control. In February, Oregon will mark two years since they made history as the first U.S. state to decriminalize personal use possession of drugs like heroin, meth, and crack. Oregon has some of America's worst rates of untreated addiction. And amidst a spike in overdose deaths, voters changed the law in 2020. Now people found with drugs are given a ticket with a fine that gets waived if they call a treatment hotline. I think that was a culmination of recognizing addiction isn't a criminal issue. It's a health care issue. I can't believe we used to criminalize people for this. Tara Hurst's job is helping to implement the other part of the new law. Deploying money raised from a tax on the cannabis industry to a network of recovery programs. It's a new level of funding they think could be transformative, along with the hope for benefits of not saddling people with criminal records. There are, again, 7,000 people who don't have barriers on their records right now because of Measure 110. The struggle to find a solution to the overdose crisis for years has had people talking about programs that have been happening in places like the Netherlands, in Portugal. But for British Columbia, probably the most valuable test case might be just a few hours down I-5 here in Oregon. Helps those people have been victims of a system, so I'm glad to see it legalized. I don't think that's a good idea at all because mm -hmm. opiates are very destructive. Well, it's likely too soon to pass judgment on the Oregon model. Early signs are mixed. People are avoiding courts and jails, but very few seem to be calling that recovery hotline. And overdose deaths went up a lot in its first year. Back downtown, Dshot says decrim hasn't really done much to change the way he lives his life. No, I'm not a survivor, I'm a struggler. And I'm finding the means to survive. Cheers! In Portland, Paul Johnson, Global News. And on tomorrow's News Hour, in the second part of Paul's report from Portland, we'll hear from critics who tell us why they believe decriminalization has fallen short in Oregon and how BC might do better. That's tomorrow. Coming up tonight, though, a royal scandal. I experienced racism in an environment 
that I should have felt safe in. The offensive comments and a new documentary on Harry and Meghan pulling focus from the future king's visit to America. Plus, the new dental care benefit for kids. Who qualifies and how much it'll save parents. Traffic is steady this evening, southbound on Highway 99 towards the Massey Tunnel, just dealing with a stall just before Steveston, mostly off to the shoulder. Sussex Insurance has auto plan offices inside the Real Canadian Superstores and Walmarts throughout BC. Find your nearest location at sussexinsurance.com, open 9 to 9 every day. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Highway 99 in the Massey Tunnel. Anishka Memorial Totem Pole that has been on display in Scotland since 1930 is heading home. A delegation of Nishka leaders traveled to Edinburgh in the summer to request the memorial pole be returned. The totem pole was hand-carved in the mid-1800s by a Nishka artist. Nishka Nation Chief Earl Stevens says it was taken without consent in 1929 by a researcher and then sold to the Scottish Museum. The National Museum of Scotland's Board of Trustees approved the First Nations request to transfer the pole back to its home in northwest BC. Timing of the return is now being worked out. Well, the royals are once again battling a serious allegation of racism inside the palace. And it's all unfolding as Prince William is on his first overseas trip as the Prince of Wales. Global's Crystal Gamansing has more on the timing of the big public embarrassment and the tension. Ngozi Falani helps African and Caribbean domestic abuse survivors. But it wasn't her work that drew questions at Buckingham Palace. Where are you really from? I'm really from here. <laughs> yeah, but okay, so I can see that this is going to be a bit of a challenge. She said, what's your nationality? And I said, lady, I was born here, I'm British. The charity leader was one of a few hundred invited guests of the Queen Consort. The reception on Tuesday was in honour of the UN Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women. Falani was standing with two others when the woman who she did not name touched her hair and engaged her in what she likened to an interrogation. I experienced racism in an environment that I should have felt safe in. Lady Susan Hussey, a longtime companion of the late Queen and godmother to the Prince of Wales, later resigned from her position as a royal aide. Last year, allegations of institutional racism were raised by Meghan Markle, but she was dismissed with many calling her an attention-seeking troublemaker. The House of Windsor is back in the spotlight with a trailer dropping for the six-part Netflix special featuring the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. No one sees what's happening behind closed doors. The show promotion overshadowing the future king's first American visit in eight years. Prince William and his wife Kate were hoping attention would be lavished on Friday's award ceremony for the Earthshot Prize. Instead, his brother and the palace scandal are pulling focus. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, who has also had his Britishness challenged based on his skin colour, says the country is making progress. Crystal Gamansing, Global News, London. 
Well, parents will be getting a bit of relief on their kids' dental expenses with a new benefit coming into effect today. Eligible parents can now apply with the Canada Revenue Agency to receive a two-year benefit for their child's dental services. The benefit is available for children under 12 in families that earn less than $90,000 a year. The amount received will range between $260 and $650 per child, depending on net income. It's a hot-button issue with plenty of opinions. We really wish they'd change their minds and just leave the lane in place. Why it's bye-bye Stanley Park bike lane, at least for a little while. The controversy and what happens next. Plus, he suddenly wasn't catching any crabs, so he decided to put a camera on the trap. The sneaky seal caught on video later. All the latest news. All the latest updates. Get it first. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Get it at 11. Global News at 11. Well, despite last-ditch rallies by cyclists, that controversial dedicated bike lane through Stanley Park is expected to be gone soon, at least temporarily. And Madagahi has the latest on plans by the ABC-dominated park board for Stanley Park cyclists. On a cold, slippery winter day, not many cyclists are willing to risk riding on the separated Stanley Park bike lane. Despite the fact that the days may be numbered, for this popular and temporary piece of infrastructure. We're really disappointed that they've doubled down on their decision to take the line out over winter. Shortly after its election night victory, the ABC Vancouver party that now holds six of the seven park board votes announced it would advise staff to immediately remove the temporary bike lane in the park and restore the configuration to pre-COVID traffic and parking. Overwhelmingly, uh, voters want the bike lane, uh, temporary bike lane in Stanley Park on Stanley Park Drive to be removed. The temporary lanes come with a long and complicated story. Originally, they were a measure during the early days of the pandemic for more people to safely exercise. Now ABC says more people are complaining. It's not a very good look. Uh, it, you know, the, the reviews on TripAdvisor from visitors, from many visitors, uh, is that it's actually reduced like the beauty of the park itself. The configuration also infamously caused traffic backlogs, parking and mobility issues, and reduced revenue for the iconic businesses in the park. The Prospect Point Bar and Grill even went as far as hiring lawyers. Our position is that really uh, there ought to be enough uh, openings there for two lanes of traffic so that the public has an orderly access to the use of the park. Right now, the public can't use the park our restaurant's been closed for over a year. And in the run-up to the Monday decision, cyclists are also gearing up their advocacy. We need them to know that there are a lot of people in Vancouver that really love the separated bike lane and value it and really want to see it uh, not disappear for an indefinite amount of time. The new park board's plan is to remove the bike lane until there is a more permanent and diverse solution for getting around in the park. Will there be a separated bike lane in, in the park or will there not be, do you think? Well, we, we defer those kinds of engineering decisions to the staff. I mean, I, I'm a cyclist. There's certain things that I would like, but the, the reality is I don't hold the shovel. Emadagahi, Global News. All right, let's bring senior meteorologist Christy Gordon back in with a closer look at what we can expect uh, the next few days. And, and 
very specifically tomorrow. It's pretty uncertain um, as to whether it'll hit us or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the trajectory is really going to determine how much snowfall we see. It looks like we will see some here across Metro Vancouver, but it also depends on the temperature. Now, we well know that Arctic air is in place across the province. Tonight, these are our overnight lows for Metro Vancouver, minus 5 to minus 9. And with the wind chill, it will feel like minus 12 tomorrow morning. But as this system moves in, milder air will start to shift in across the region. So we'll start to see highs reach about 1 or 2 degrees across Metro Vancouver. And let's highlight Victoria at 5 degrees. One of the reasons why Victoria won't see much snow at all. They may just see some wet flakes fall from the sky. Here's the timeline. So it starts to shift in across Vancouver Island through the morning hours. And then we'll start to see some flakes fall across Metro Vancouver through the afternoon and evening hours. Now, it's higher elevations that have the best chance of seeing snowfall. Lower elevations, again, since we're at the verge of, you know, one, two degrees, we may see a mix of rain and snow and not much accumulation. Nonetheless, there is a chance that we may see accumulation. So we're talking about anywhere from zero to six centimeters across the metro Vancouver region, and it's right during those afternoon commuting hours. So late afternoon into the evening hours that we have the potential for that. Now across Vancouver Island, there's some key areas sort of from Duncan up towards Campbell River, strong amounts potentially up to 25 centimeters. So uh, 15 potentially throughout the day, but then another 10 throughout the overnight period and strong winds. So the potential for power outages, especially along the southern tip of Victoria. We could see some delays in the ferries also. Here's your forecast for your Friday, everyone. So a few flurries in through the northern sections, but not much. And uh, these areas here, very cold. So reaching highs of only minus 12, for example, in Kamloops will warm up a ton to more a touch, I said, should say, across the south coast region. A mix of rain and snow for the western sections, barely any snowfall for eastern sections. And then we're talking about zero to six centimeters for Metro Vancouver. Best chance of seeing that would be over higher elevations. It all clears out in time for the weekend. Lots of sunshine, although it will be chilly over the next few days. Here's tonight's Central Windows weather window coming to you from Squamish. A beautiful shot looking towards the Squamish chief. Thank you to Suzanne Thompson for that. All right, so back to you. Looks lovely. Thanks very much, Christy. Well, curious to know about what happens on the ocean floor. A Vancouver Island man wasn't catching as many crabs as he usually does, so he installed a camera to find out why. We got some salmon and we got some turkey. Let's see if that's good enough for the crab buffet. Short time later, a seal appears, then swims away. Fast forward and now there's a crab in the trap having a bite and the seal is back. Realizing there's a buffet in there, the seal tries to get in, but the seal also enjoys the bait in the trap. And that is why Ron has not been catching as many crab out in soup. Caught in the act. All right, let's bring in <laughs> Squire Barnes. Will it be charged? So um, seals and uh, crabs like turkey. Is that what he put in there for bait? I don't know. I thought you were going to say seals and croft, and that's going back in time for music. I can't. You know what? I can't hear you from across the studio. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Don't. Was that crickets? I heard. Though? Yeah, it was actually. Okay. What's going on? Okay, so Roberto Luongo is in town with the Florida Panthers. Uh, of course, yesterday the Canucks announced that Luongo will be put in the Ring of Honor next season. Nice to see that, you know, the work that uh, that I put in here for eight years is going to get recognized, and I am very grateful um, to be able to go up there with, uh, with those guys. Now, he's not here tonight for the Ring of Honor. He's here to be honored with the Sedins for recently being inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame.
Also tonight. Oh my God, no joke, this is freezing. A BC production company taking a big risk. How they're shaking up what's expected of Punjabi cinema later. Just really quickly, I thought you said seals and crop like Jill crop. <laughs> that that might have been a later group. Okay. She joined up with seals right. and seals and crop. They didn't have as many hits as seals and crop. Got it. Yet. Got it. Okay. Got it. Okay. A um, two-one loss to Morocco today means Canada goes home from its first ever World Cup since 1986 with goals, but not points. Only the most optimistic of us, I would think thought that Canada could get to the knockout stage out of this group. It was a tough group. But we were a bit unlucky as well. We should have at least gotten a point against Belgium, and quite frankly, we deserved a point today against Morocco. We were the better team in the second half. A bit unlucky, I would say, in this tournament at times. Croatia handled us pretty easily, though. And also a bit naive at times from the coaching staff on down. But it was a learning experience for Canada. Remember, Canada had not faced this kind of big-time competition for a long time. Most of our games in recent years have been against teams in our region only. Okay, so it was a rough start for Milan Borian. Can't be doing this, whether it's Morocco or Curacao. He gives the ball away, and that's one nothing. It would be 2 nothing, and then Canada would get one on an own goal. This would have been brilliant. Atiba Hutchinson, who had a really rough game against Croatia, nearly scores here. Take another look. It hits the crossbar, then hits the line, and Vittoria misses it. Yep. Canada just cannot put it in. So 2-1 is the final. We've raised the bar in, our, uh, in the way we're playing. I mean, we, we came here as underdogs. These teams have had multiple World Cup experiences. It took Morocco quite a few goals to get out of this, this group stage. And um, this is where Canada's at. We're, we're at that point now of getting a taste of, of this, this level. And our players were shown on the big stage. Many of these players are going to benefit from that. And Canada's on the map. All right, here are the other scores from the World Cup today. It was a wild day. Belgium is knocked out because of that tie with Croatia. Germany is out despite beating Costa Rica 4-2, but Costa Rica led that game at 1.21. Japan advances with a 2-1 win over Spain, but the Spanish also move in to the knockout round. The Canucks are hosting Florida tonight at Rogers Arena, and they'll do it with Thatcher Demko in goal after giving Spencer Martin the start against Washington the other night. Demko, of course, really hasn't been himself most of this season, but Bruce Boudreau thinks he will soon turn back into the guy we watched last season. Well, I mean, I think, uh, you know, three of his last four games have been really good. And uh, I think Demmer's the kind of guy that, you know, he went through a little bit of trouble at the beginning of the year, but you knew he was a good enough goalie that he's going to come get out of it. And uh, hopefully the trend that he's started will continue into tonight's game. Roberto Luongo was a game short of winning a ring with the uh, Canucks, but yesterday they announced he'll be in the ring of honour for his eight-year run in Vancouver. And as it happens, he's in town tonight to get a different honour from the Canucks as they will pay tribute to both him and the Twins who are being put into the Hockey Hall of Fame. The ring of honour ceremony is not going to happen until sometime next season. 
It was Roberto Luongo's soundtrack at Rogers Arena, and now Lou is among the few who have a permanent place in the Canucks Ring of Honor. It's been quite the trip down memory lane for Luongo, who was just inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame just two weeks ago. You know, the best moments of my career was when I was here. Obviously, you know, uh, when I played for Team Canada, I was with the Canucks, but, you know, it was also in Vancouver, so... Um, those playoff runs, I mean, those were the best uh, moments of my career. So in talking, talking about those things with, with friends and family and people that I work with, it's, uh, it's been a great month, to be honest with you. Many Canucks fans are wondering aloud why Luongo isn't getting his number retired, which is the greatest honor a team can bestow on a former player. The Panthers made Luongo's number one, the first number they retired in their franchise history back in 2020. Luongo actually played more games for the Panthers than he did the Canucks, 572 compared to 448. The Canucks all-time goalie games played leader is Kirk McLean, and he also wore number one. So maybe that's why the hesitation from the Canucks. Luongo didn't want to get into a debate about it. Listen, I mean, uh, that's, that's not up to me to decide, right? Um, but either way, it's a tremendous honor, and I'm very grateful. Uh, to be honored anyway. So uh, I was happy when I got the call yesterday and I'm um, looking forward to uh, next season. Other than great saves, Luongo also provided great entertainment for fans on his Twitter account, Strombone One. The cutting, self-deprecating humor provided lots of laughs, but also a serious life perspective switch for Luongo, which he says helped him on a lot of levels. It helped in a lot of ways, uh, more than just my performance. Well, once I started kind of making fun of myself, it kind of made things a lot easier on myself to, to accept that um, things are going to happen and you can't just dwell on them the whole time. Funny guy. There you go. Yeah, right. he is. Thanks, Squire. Up next, the BC cast and crew behind a new movie aiming to bring something different to Punjabi cinema. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Cam Freightways. BC owned and operated for 75 years. Jordan Armstrong here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophia, crime spree in North Vancouver last evening involving carjackings, a break and enter, a stolen vehicle crash, and the accused in all of it is just 15. The final carjacking happened in the parking lot of the Capilano Suspension Bridge. The teen is now behind bars. At 11, we'll tell you what else investigators say the young man was up to and the charges he's now facing. Sophie. All right, thanks for that, Jordan. A BC production company is pushing the boundaries of Punjabi cinema with a new action-packed movie called Snowman, set to open in theaters across Canada tomorrow. Most of the film was shot in the frozen backcountry around Hope. And as Jada Rant tells us on This is BC, Snowman's producer says it's a big departure from what audiences may be accustomed to. The all-BC cast and crew behind the movie Snowman is taking a very big risk. This is a murder mystery that completely goes against the norm of Punjabi cinema. Usually our films are um, family, well, family films, a lot of song and dance, comedy. We're here with lovely Paulina. Hi. 
But this crew is taking cues from the audience that's been asking for a change. It's something that has never been seen before, never been done before. Everyone's looking at the trailer and saying, this is something different. This is something different. And again, that's what the people wanted. I think it's a million dollar shot. To do it, they had to endure the winter peak in the BC wilderness just outside of Hope. Oh my God, no joke. This is freezing. Reading the script, we thought, okay, it's going to be snow, so we'll pack a little bit extra. But we weren't expecting minus 30, right? At one point, they had me running in a crop top in the snow. And I'm like, what sane person would do this? The cold was enough motivation to get it done quickly. And with no cell reception and no distractions, everyone stayed on task. The small team stuck together and supported each other in every way. The cooking crew would be taking lights and cameras through sets, right? The production crew would be cooking. Like, the, the camera crew would be cooking, would be helping, would be helping the production. Like, and it became like a little family. So sad this is going to finish, but I can't wait to start more with you. <laughs> They're hoping Snowman opens the doors for different types of films for Punjabi cinema. They're taking a big chance. We do comedy films because you know you're going to recover your, your money. But this took courage. But so far, it's been well received. I haven't read one negative comment, and all I can see is excitement for something different. <laughs> But now it's just opening day, December 2nd, which we say is our exam. <laughs> and then we just need to pass with flying colors, hopefully. Jay Durant, Global News. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, don't forget to email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Well, it won't be as bad as Tuesday. We can say that, Christy, I think. Yeah. Yes, I think so. Parts of Vancouver Island, though, have potential for substantial snowfall, that's for sure. Particularly Malahat and uh, Duncan up towards sort of Campbell River, those areas. Uh, but for our region, we're talking about zero to six centimeters of snow. And it's more likely towards sort of the afternoon, evening hours. But a lot of lower elevation regions will likely see it as slushy mess. Be careful Nonetheless, out that's there. tough on the roads, though. Yeah, exactly. Be careful out there and have a good night, all.